Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. If you become a big fan of something at a certain age, say 13, 14, there's a decent chance that that thing will become a lifetime obsession, that it'll define a significant part of your personality through some major formative years. For me, it was Blink-182. For poet Melissa Lazada Olivia, it was the late pop star Selena. And in her new book, Dreaming of You, she processes fandom and fame through this story where a fictionalized Melissa brings Selena back from the dead. It's a funny and weird book where you can see Lazada Olivia constantly pushing back at what people think a Latina writer should be. Because, as she tells NPR's Asma Khalid, sometimes representation isn't about being seen, but about being sold. And that's not what she's about. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Selena Quintanilla is having a moment again. 26 years after her murder, the Tejano pop star's face adorns t-shirts and hoodies. She's the subject of a Netflix series and a podcast. And now, in a new book from Melissa Lozada Oliva, Selena is coming back from the dead. Dreaming of You is the new novel in verse by the poet and educator who joins us now from New York City. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for having me. So I have got to start by asking the obvious question. Uh, is it fair to say that you are a Selena fan? <laughs> yes, I I am definitely a Selena fan. Tell me more. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, all of this kind of started with me like trying to deconstruct like what it meant for me to be a Selena fan. I feel like I grew up like under the umbrella of her life right after she died and so much of like being her fan was also like wanting to look like her. And I remember just feeling like so beautiful whenever I like kind of look like Selena. And you're talking about like the big hoop earrings, the red oh, lipstick, yeah. the whole look, all of that. Yes. Yeah. So you are 29, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. and because you are 29, I mean, that means that Selena has been dead for most of your life. And yet you've yeah. written this book all about her. So So talk to us about what she means today to people who have no recollection of her music or her vibe from when she was actually alive. I mean, someone like yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so weird, like kind of falling in love with somebody and them being completely gone. Um, and it's so weird just having a person shape the way that you look at music and the world. And I think today, like for people looking back at her music, Unfortunately, a lot of it is wrapped up in her tragic death. And I became really interested in, like, what if she lives, you know? Like, what if she grew up and became older and problematic and liked problematic Mm. tweets and made corny videos and made, like, uncomfortable statements during tumultuous times? Um, So she's forever stuck in this like moment of being this 23-year-old girl who's extremely talented and beautiful. And it's almost like we love her there. And I don't know. That's weird. (laughs) 
So I want to get to the book. Uh, Selena is a character in the book, mm-hmm. but so are you. Mm-hmm. So tell me about <laughs> Melissa, the Melissa in the book. What is she going through, and how does she hope that resurrecting Selena will help? She's having this, like, identity crisis. She's really obsessed with being seen. And, uh, you know, she really is not feeling like enough and thinks that bringing back this pop star who she is obsessed with and mourning will somehow fix everything. Everyone's motives for bringing back someone to life, like, are pretty messed up. I think the generally, like, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the consensus, like, every time someone is resurrected, it's like, you know, don't do it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. She's just, like, a woman who just, like, makes a decision, and that decision is, like, a huge mistake. But in order to find out who she is, she feels like she has to do this. Do you have the book in front of you? I do. If we can go to page 38. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a section where you have a phrase in capital letters. Can you read that graph <laughs> for us? In the future, I am not Spanish or Latina or Latinx. Instead, I am Hispanic. ED because past tense, because colonialism, as in my identity is something that happened to me. Panic to acknowledge crippling anxiety, LOL. I found that passage so interesting because (laughs) there are these moments when you're clearly engaging with contemporary discussions of identity. And it felt Mm -hmm. like there was this generational divide throughout the book. I mean, on one side, there's this 90s nostalgia for Selena. And then there's this very millennial, or maybe even, I don't know if millennial is the right phrase, but younger even than millennial tone with which (laughs) you write about race and identity. And and how do you Mm -hmm. balance those two dynamics throughout the book to find your own voice. Yeah. I mean, because I came up as this like Latina poet, I felt a lot of pressure to kind of be this person that I wasn't or be doing writing poetry that I didn't necessarily want to do. You know, I kind of just wanted to write like horror stories. And these horror stories like do inform my Latina identity and my intergenerational trauma. But I didn't want to be like capital R representation matters. Because like, this is the thing about like representation is sometimes it's not about seeing being seen, it's about being sold. And I, you know, I don't want to do that with like my art or my soul, you know, that passage is kind of just like a a joke, (laughs) but it also like sums up a lot of how I feel about the conversation with Latinidad. And, you know, you're not supposed to say Hispanic, actually, when you're talking about people with Latin American Mm -hmm. roots. When you say you're not supposed to, like, walk me through that, right? That is a conversation that people have been having. Yeah, well, I mean, Hispanic means like from Spain, but to say Hispanic with a past tense, I, it is like acknowledging yeah. um, the colonizers that came to my parents' home countries and to be like, okay, all of a sudden I'm like wrapped up in this messy ass thing that's been going on for 500 years and I'm just in this body in New England <laughs> having like all of these mm-hmm. memories inside of my body that I didn't ask for. I know the area that you're from quite well. I myself used to live in New England. You were raised in Newton, Massachusetts, a suburb of of Boston. Mm -hmm. I was so struck by you talking about this obsession with Selena growing up in an area that, you know, let's be real, is not a particularly diverse part of the country. Yeah, not at all. So I grew up in the lake of Newton, which is often called like the armpit of Newton. It's a very Italian neighborhood. 
So my older sister is like really responsible for my introduction to Selena. One of my like first memories is her 13th birthday party taking us to go see the Selena movie. My mom didn't really like let us out of the house. I became like a writer because I had nothing to do. So I'm like writing a lot. And I Mm. also was like watching the Selena movie over and over again and listening to Selena's songs. And then Mm. because Newton was so not diverse... I was like clinging on to this image of like the Latina of my life, who is Selena, who very much like when we think of a Latina and like what a Latina should quote unquote look like, we're thinking of Selena. That was like a formative part of my identity. I'm also, you know, I'm not Mexican. I'm not from Texas. My dad is from Colombia. My mom is from Guatemala. So I think really, I didn't really come up like Selena, but I still like saw so much of Mm. myself in her, but maybe just because I wanted to. That's Melissa Lozada Oliva. Her new book is Dreaming of You. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.